Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Uh, Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we long that this testimony of the psalmist might be ours in all the ups and downs of life. And so we pray, Lord, that today you might teach us from your word. Help us to understand it properly. Help me to explain it clearly so that together we might live trusting in your grace and experiencing your love and power through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, the thing about life is that you only actually get one go at it. Uh, There aren't any do-overs in life. There aren't any second chances. Uh, Life is not a story that you can kind of go back and edit if things start to go wrong. Life is not a computer game that you can save and reload if you make a mistake. And of course, we do make mistakes in life, don't we? And sometimes those mistakes are, are small and, and minor and easily corrected, and sometimes they're, they're much more serious with devastating consequences, opportunities squandered and successes undone, the kind of mistakes that can knock you off track and uh, can even take away everything that you've been working towards and hoping for. And of course, one of the really difficult things about life is we don't even know which decisions we're making are the big ones or the small ones. Uh, you know, when I was in my last year of high school, I remember that, you know, as we were all obsessing over what we would do with the rest of our lives and where we might go to university or, or what we might do, uh, one of my friends, uh, he fell awkwardly during a game of basketball and ended up a paraplegic. You know, I, a relatively minor decision to play a game of basketball at lunchtime turned out to be the biggest decision that he had ever made in his life. And that is what life is like. And so the stakes are very high, aren't they? Uh, And because the stakes are so high, the quest for security and certainty in life is so intense. It's part of every one of our lives Uh, Every one of us is looking in in all sorts of directions for the the recipe to a secure and certain life. It's a fundamental need that every human being has, and we're all searching for security. And the psalm that we just read, Psalm 62, 
is going to help us because Psalm 62 is a psalm about security, about ultimate security. Uh, King David has for us some advice from 3,000 years ago about where it's to be found. And it comes to us as the word of the Lord today. Twice in our psalm, in verse 2 and in verse 6, David asserts, I will never be shaken, I will not be shaken. Uh, Here is a security that's not dependent upon some philosophy of the way that our world works, but upon the reality of God himself. And the stakes for David as he writes this poem are very high. It's very real. Uh, Here in the psalm, there is a power game going on, uh, on a grand scale. In verse 3, David tells us that his throne is under great threat from prolonged assault. Uh, Perhaps this is a a psalm that comes uh, to David at the the end of his life, towards the end of his life, or maybe it's to do with the the many problems that occurred within his own royal family, of which he was the beginning of of most. Uh, But whatever it is, he's perceived as being vulnerable and he's under immense pressure. But the thing that I think really strikes me about this psalm is that the tone of the psalm, it doesn't match the circumstances. David here, it's not a psalm about him giving in to his anxiety or his worry. And nor does his poem have the kind of cheap optimism of someone who's buried their head in the sand and is ignoring all the very real problems that he faces. Instead, Psalm 62 has an atmosphere of of poise and and peace, of stability. Uh, The kind of uh, poise and peace that I wish I had when I face difficult circumstances in my life. And I think that we'll see that as David speaks, we'll realise that he has very real reasons why he can say, I will never be shaken. Now, let me just point out to you how this this poem works. It's all there in the outline that you might have received as you you came in, because it is composed uh, quite brilliantly. Uh, It oscillates between two different ways of looking at life. Uh, And they couldn't be more different. Uh, Let me put it to you this way. Uh, You know, what is the difference between the perspective of the Bible that we have open in front of us now and the perspective of the world as we might read it in our favourite news feed or see it on our favourite news program or even as we listen to our favourite podcasts? Uh, Both deal with the world. Both deal with the real world in which we live and which we experience and inhabit. But they do so from two very different perspectives. One looks at the world from God's point of view. It affirms that God exists and it tells us about his character and assures us that the only certainty that we can have in life is God's existence and his character. But the other point of view that comes to us and that we so often hear and read about is the point of view that looks at the same world but entirely from a human point of view. Uh, That imagines that there is no God or that if there is a God, he's a vague creative force who stands at a distance from humanity, uninvolved, who carries no weight in the affairs of this world, and that even if he does exist, he can be safely ignored. The point of view that we learned about last week in Psalm 53, about which that psalm had some very unflattering things to say. But what Psalm 62 does is it alternates between those two points of view. Uh, And in doing so, it shows us these two very different ways of of looking at life. 
and therefore two very different securities that arise. Uh, so you can see them, as I said, in the outline. There's uh, kind of five paragraphs or, or five uh, stanzas, to use the right language, because there's English teachers in the room. Uh, and uh, in verses 1 and 2, in verses 5 and 8, and verses 11 and 12, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end, uh, we see God's view, uh, God's view on where security is found. But in the other two paragraphs, in verses 3 to 4 and in verses 9 and 10, they show us what life is like without God where people will search for security without God. And that's where I want to begin. Uh, Let's start with security in a world without God before we look at security in a world with God. Because verses 3 to 4 and in verses 9 to 10, we have, I think, two creeds that dominate human society when God is absent. Uh, And so the first one is in verse 3 and 4, and it's the creed of power, survival of the fittest. Uh, Verse 3. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. You see, David knows that he has enemies and that they're out to destroy him. And that the feeding frenzy has taken over. He's perceived as weak. And so all his enemies have come swarming in with their knives thirsty for his blood. Uh, they perceive him to be a, a tottering wall, a, you know, a, a leaning fence. That all they need to do is give him a little push and he will fall over. And so they attack him in numbers. Uh, and that is a very typical of a world where, where God is ignored. And so, yes, even though they affirm their loyalty in, in public, in, in verse 4, you know, with their, their mouths they bless, but actually what they say is very different to what they plot In their hearts, they curse. And indeed, they take delight in lies, David says. And so it's it's law of the jungle. It's uh, dog eat dog. Uh, Evil is always envious of strength in others. uh, But it doesn't usually attack strength. Because evil is so ruthlessly competitive, it's drawn to, to weakness as a shark is drawn to blood. And we see that all around us in our worlds. Uh, we see uh, the, the weak ganging up on those that they perceive were once strong but have now grown vulnerable. You see it in the school playground. You see it in the back rooms of, of politics and, and business. Uh, because if there is no God, then actually the, the quest for personal security and the imagined power that it will bring is, is just unstoppable. There is nothing to prevent that dog-eat-dog mentality. And if you don't sharpen your knife, then you'll become the next victim. And so in that sort of world, you can't trust anyone, is the creed. It's just about power. It's just about survival of the fittest. But then in the the, the fourth paragraph, in verses 9 and 10, we see another kind of godless creed at work. The security of the richest, that our our value as as human beings, our our worth is determined by our wealth and that's where security is found. So verses 9 and 10, uh, verse 10, the the psalmist says, Do not trust in extortion or put a vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Uh, David is addressing the people that he has just said a verse ago in verse 8 that they ought to pour out their hearts to God And he's teaching them and he's teaching us 
through a warning that he gives. And what he is describing is the way that people will very naturally live their lives. They will tend to put their trust in what they possess. Uh, their, their wealth, their, their capacity to make money, their, their property, their possessions. And you don't have to have a lot uh, to imagine that having a lot is where security and certainty is to be found in life. And so David is showing us that power is going to be one of the great creeds of a godless world, but so too will be money. Uh, that extortion or ill-gotten gains or stolen goods or, or taking from others and making it your own, what he talks about in verse 10, will simply seem irresistible. It will be irresistibly attractive to us if money is our perceived, our imagined security. And David's warning is that if money is what we lean on in life, even though our, our riches increase, even though our money makes money, then what you're ultimately leaning on is nothing more substantial than a puff of air. Your hope is in vain. Literally, your hope is meaningless. The same, the same meaningless breath of air that Ecclesiastes is so obsessed with. To make money the measure of your certainty in life, verse 10 says, is absolutely crazy. Something as insubstantial as wealth will never survive. And so whatever rank you have achieved, says verse 9, whether you be high-born or low-born, whether you be educated or uneducated, uh, whether you be sophisticated or earthly, it's all the same. Human life is but a breath. It's just a, a puff of wind. And its securities are a delusion, a lie. And if weighed on a balance, all people are as nothing. Together they are just a breath, lighter than air. That's an extraordinary perspective, isn't it? It's so totally different from the way that we are, are so encouraged to think as we, we spend our lives in this world, as we look around us, to the people who are around us. Or to the way that, that people are portrayed in the, in the media, uh, you know, uh, puffing ourselves up with our own self-importance. When David reminds us that we are really nothing more than a puff of air. I do like the story of the, uh, the billionaire who died and uh, as the family came out from the will being read, all the journalists were gathered to uh, find out where the money had gone. And so the eldest son was asked... Well, uh, how much did your father leave behind? And quite honestly, the son said, all of it. It's a desperate way to live and a desperate way to die, to put your confidence in money and to think that you have value because you have possessions. But you have to look after number one and so we proceed to build our castle in the clouds and be as low-born or high-born we know we're in a world where without God, the creed is power and the creed is money. And I guess the final condemnation on, on these ways of viewing the world and viewing security is to see that actually in our world, security can only be found at the expense of others. It's only as I tear others down, it's only as I push them over Take what is theirs that I can build myself up. 
Only then can I have security and certainty in my life. And even then, I better not lower my guard because everyone else is watching for their moment to do the same to me. And when you put it like that, what an awful way to live. What a desperately unhappy way to live out our lives. Surely there must be a a better option than the ruthlessness of this world. And there is, says King David. For those human creeds couldn't be more different from what the rest of the psalm has to say. Once the God of the Bible is part of the picture, then actually an utterly different worldview emerges that that couldn't be more different from the way that people in our world live. And just as there are two creeds in a world without God, there are also two creeds of a world with God at the centre. And they're both mentioned at the end of the psalm in verses 11 and verse 12. And here is a very different worldview. Verse 11 One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. I mean, again, just look at those two phrases, you know, uh, there is power, verse 9, power belongs to God, and there too is value in verse 10. Uh, Not our value measured somehow in the size of our bank balance or the worth of our our home, but instead our value to God, a God who has unfailing love for all that he has made. And we do need to train ourselves, train our perspective to think biblically here and to put ourselves in the position of David and his confidence in God. Because firstly, he says that our God is a God of limitless strength. If you're looking in this world for power, well, you will not find more power than that which God already has. And that's the ground of David's confidence all through this psalm. Uh, the formula at the beginning of verse 11 there, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a com- common form of a solemn declaration. Uh, you know, one thing has been said twice, I uh, have heard it. You know, it's a literary way of saying, this is certain, this is sure, power does belong to God. Uh, And that is why David was so free to describe God as a rock, as a fortress, as a refuge earlier in the psalm, as his salvation in verse 2. And so, into the human power games in which David is himself thrust and, and, and struggling and caught up in with his throne under threat, David introduces this new reality that ultimately power belongs to God. That ultimately he is the one to whom all power belongs. And that's why he can say at the beginning of verse 7 that that when his honour is called into question, he depends on God. That his salvation and his honour depend on him, that, that God is the one who is his mighty rock. He is the only refuge that lasts forever. The only rescuer whose salvation extends into eternity. And that's why David says, my hope can come from God. And that's why my soul finds rest in God alone. Uh, David's very confident that there's no comparable defense in life than God. There's no equivalent strength. There's no alternative power. But the thing that really kind of struck me as I was reading this psalm was that these great statements concerning the character of God is actually 
the little word that always comes before them. You notice how many times the little word my shows up in this psalm? There's over 10 of them. My rock, my salvation, my fortress, my refuge, my hope. You see, for a man to have faith like this in God, it's got to be a very personal relationship, doesn't it? In fact, just like last week, at its heart, Psalm 62 is actually a psalm about our relationship with God. Uh, to David here, uh, God is, is not just a God who is kind of out there, who's distant and might one day uh, do something in my life. No, David has moved far beyond that view of God where God is somehow remote and uninterested in him. Uh, now he understands that God is a God who is intimately involved in all the details and the circumstances of his everyday battles. And when you get to know God like that, when, you, uh, when God is taken into the very heart of your life, when you start to pour out your heart to him in prayer, when we start to call on him for his grace and for his help and for his strength, when we begin to talk to him about, when we begin to talk about God as my refuge and my strength and my fortress and my foundation, well, then we've, we've begun to understand what a real and living relationship with God looks like. And against that backdrop actually comes verse 8. Verse 8 is probably the most important verse in the whole psalm for us. It's a wonderful little nugget of gold tucked away. Verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. See, this verse opens the door for all of us. There's no doubting that David is a very special guy in the Bible and in God's plans. But what verse 8 tells us is that what David is experiencing here in Psalm 62 is not something that is a privilege for a special few. It is something that every individual can experience. At all times, we can trust in God because he is trustworthy. At all times, we can pour out our heart to God because he listens and cares for us. And at all times, God is our refuge because he truly is the only source of limitless strength and ultimate security. And it reduces all the world's empty glory to nothing more than a puff of wind. Our God, a God of limitless power. But then there's also the other side of that. The second creed, because equal to God's power is his love. He is a God of unfailing love in verse 12. And so our value in this world is not the sum total of our possessions or our achievements or our accomplishments. Actually, that's a too small a way to measure any individual's value. Our value is the, un, is the, the value that the unfailing God, the unfailing love that God of limitless power shows to us. It's our value in his sight that far eclipses any worldly measure of value. 
And this dependable love of God is the way that God expresses his power. That's the extraordinary thing about God. It's possible to imagine, isn't it, a kind of God who is of limitless power, making the universe, creating all things, and then setting everything to, to run, a God beyond our, our comprehension. But for that God who has such power to be the kind of God who commits himself to individuals, to, to love those that he has made, who speaks to us and, and speaks to us the words that we need to hear in the various situations in our life. A God who binds himself to promises and then keeps those promises. Well, that's a love that is trustworthy and reliable, like no other love that we will ever find. And it's deliberately contrasted with the, the false friends of, of verse 4, who bless with their mouths but curse in their hearts, and who when the back is turned will stick the knife in. It's contrasted with the moral deceit of those in verse 10 who take pride in what they've stolen and in, in what they've extorted from others or who simply set their hearts on their growing bank balance. Here is a t- totally different form of value. Here is a love that is just and is fair and that responds to those who trust in him and defends those who run to him for rescue. For God, in verse 12 will reward everyone in accordance with what they have done. That's a bit of a a double-edged verse, isn't it? Because it spells judgment if we have rebelled against God. But it spells great security for those who acknowledge God and throw themselves upon his unfailing love. And so the testimony of King David is that our souls can find rest during appalling struggles. In the midst of all sorts of pressures and all the uncertainties that we face in life, there is a security. And that that security is only in the unchanging God. He is the one to whom power belongs and his character is a character of unfailing love. He can always be depended upon to keep his promises and he never goes back on his covenant word. And so really, the question becomes, where can ultimate security be found? In the end, these are two very different ways of looking at life, aren't they? In which one of them will ultimate security be found? In the dog-eat-dog survival of the fittest, wealth goes to the winner, view of our world, or in the God who is strong and loving in equal measure? But the creeds of godlessness and worldly power and wealth are very powerful and they're very seductive. They're like gravity. They're like an unseen force that's always at work upon us. They're the default setting of every human being. We feel rooted in a world where, where power and money are and so on. They're just accepted all around and they're strived after by all. And in a psalm like this, when David speaks of his hope and confidence in God, it just feels like another planet, doesn't it? It, it just Isn't it all just wishful thinking? Isn't everything that David kind of has to say here just kind of religious nonsense for those who haven't got what it takes to survive in the real world? The idea of power and love working together, it sounds attractive, yes, but you know, is it really practical? Is it really possible? 
I think it's very easy to, to read Psalm 62 and go, yes, it, it sounds wonderful, it sounds very attractive, but it's just not realistic. It's just not reliable. And so I'll stick to the tried and true methods that work in our world today. Except, of course, there is a man in history who demonstrated that this is the very character of God. Limitless power and unfailing love. A man who could stop wind and waves with a word. A man who could give sight to those blind from birth. A man who could feed thousands from a a little boy's packed lunch. Who could raise the dead to life. A man who had limitless power. And yet how did he choose to use that power? By combining it with his unfailing love. So much so that in the end he was willing to give himself up to the most horrific of public executions. To die on a cross. So that we might be justly forgiven by God. So that we might find rescue and rest and a rock to build on and a refuge to run to and a fortress to hide in and a hope for eternity. You see, there is a man in history who is a man of limitless power and unfailing love. The man who is God. The man Jesus Christ. And it is the person of Jesus Christ in history that grounds Psalm 62 in reality that actually keeps it from being just kind of wishful thinking that is broken down just by the harsh realities of our world. No, there was a man who stood against the harsh realities of this world. And by his death and resurrection, we cannot ignore Psalm 62 and just go back to our our newspapers and our our news feeds and our, our podcasts and back to the godless worldly creeds of survival of the fittest and security of the richest and imagine that those things will truly bring us ultimate and lasting security. God has broken into this world to reveal himself in a way that we can understand and cannot ignore and it is at the foot of the cross that we see this is true but we also see something else very strange. We see something Not in the contrast between the godlessness of our worlds and the godly creed of Psalm 62. That we can easily see. Instead, it's at the cross that we see the strange similarity between the two. Because in our world, in the godless creeds of our world, security is only found at the expense of others. And that's what condemns it. But in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the same. Security is only found at the expense of another. Only he was the one who loved us enough to willingly die for us. He was the one who was willing to be our security, to be our hope to be our refuge, to be our fortress. His sacrifice, where he gave up his limitless power because of his unfailing love, 
was a choice not to tear others down, but instead to give himself up so that we might have the ultimate security that David is talking about here in Psalm 62. It is only through Christ that anyone can have ultimate security. Of course, we know this to be true, don't we? We know it to be true. We've seen human power evaporate. We've seen kingdoms fall and financial empires crumble. We've seen the powerful brought low. We know that they are not ultimate security. But only in God and his son, Jesus Christ, is there unchanging, limitless power and the promise of unfailing love. And so he alone is our rock. He alone is our salvation. He alone is our fortress. And it's because God is God and it is because Jesus is the one who died for us that those who trust in him can say, I will never be shaken. Let's pray. Glorious Father, may these words be not just the words of a human being to us, but might they be your words written on our hearts. Lord, where we have followed the, the creeds of human power and wealth, Lord, we do pray that you would forgive us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Please do not leave us relying on things that do not last. Instead, Lord, we pray, teach us your ways so that we might rely on you, your limitless strength, your unfailing love that we have seen at the cross of Christ. Help us, Lord, each one of us, to go away from this place today rejoicing that you are God, our only fortress, our only rock, our only salvation. And that we might know that because of the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.